I've been putting bad guys away for 44 years. I've been part of investigating over a thousand deaths. I've been a part of putting more than 400 murders in prison, and I'm still at it. I'm Tim Corbett. These are my cases. This isn't your typical criminal profile podcast. This is Killer Catchers. Good evening. Tim Corbett here again with the crew. Killer Catchers. That's what we're all about. We talk about cases that we worked on. This one's going to be about a guy by the name of Clevy Chick. Clevy was killed on December 24th, 2015 at 3365 South High Street, South Bend, Indiana, Miami Hills Apartments. In that apartment during this, and you're going to hear a lot about how the shots were fired and how reckless this was, there were three kids under the age of two and three people in there, Clevy and two females. You're going to hear about Clevy doing uh, an exceptional act of bravery in our opinion. Some may agree, some may disagree. Uh, two people were arrested in this, a guy by the name of Tash, Tyshawn Williams and another guy by the name of Bruce Thomas. Um, you're gonna hear information about informants, how important they are and how important it is for the police to vet out their information. Uh, with me tonight, I have Tim Wiley, South Bend Police Department. Next to him is retired police officer Ken Cornelis. I think you remember me talking about Wiley from last week. He was vacationing down in sunny Florida, and I think there was some comment about, I don't know, G-string or bomb or something like that. I don't really recall, but he <laughs> brought it up tonight. Apparently, uh, there was some truth to it, so don't judge him on that. Anyway. It's so relaxing. Yeah. So, uh, this case was one of many that year, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to start off with Tim Wiley and kind of let him give you an overview of what happened. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail right at the beginning, and then I'll have Kenny go through some information about uh, what he did during the processing. Now, one thing you need to understand, this area, 3300 South High, is a very uh, populated area, several apartments in there. Obviously, it was something this, uh, this dynamic, December 24th at 12.30 p.m., I'm sure most of you were probably wrapping packages, last-minute shopping, getting ready for family to come over. These idiots decided the right thing to do would be go do a robbery. And on top of that, hey, over here, we might as well kill somebody. So this is the ignorance, the stupidity that we're dealing with. This was absolutely a black-on-black crime. And that brings me to another point. I keep saying it, I keep saying it. These idiot politicians, and they're idiots, they keep telling you about systemic racism. They're liars. Cops don't wake up in the morning hoping that they get to kill somebody. These guys are the ones that are killing each other. Again, 80 to 90% of our homicides in South Bend, Indiana are black on black crimes. When these people talk about systemic racism, they're trying to get policemen to back off. They're trying to get people to stop what they're doing. And who's going to suffer even more? Black families. So when you hear these people say that, challenge them. Have them show it to you. Don't just listen to it because they're looking for your vote. They don't care about you. We care about you. Okay, so I'm gonna switch over to Tim Wiley. Tim, why don't you kind of lay out what happened? All right, so it was uh, December 24, 2015. Uh, it just passed the noon hour. So at this apartment, a minor correction, there was actually three women and three kids in the apartment along with Cleavy. So seven people total. Is that because of the bomb joke? Yeah. I got it coming, go ahead. <laughs> So, uh, seven people in the apartment, including Cleavy, uh, when a 
knock comes at the door, just a knock, knock, knock. Uh, one of the ladies in the apartment, without checking the peephole, without doing anything, just opens the door. And uh, as soon as she opens the door, she sees two dudes at the door with guns pointed inside. And she yells out, the lady that came to the door, they got guns. That's what she yells out to everybody else in the apartment. And she dives out of the way, the door shuts, and Cleavy, who had actually been sitting behind the door on a stool behind on the table or something behind the door, uh, put himself next to the door and pushed it shut and locked the door and held his body next to that door to keep the guys that were outside with guns from coming inside. Um, the guys on the outside of the door began firing their guns wildly just into the door itself, not being able to see what's on the other side of that door, not seeing who's there, and two of those bullets ended up hitting Cleavy and killed him right there on the other side of that door. But Cleavy's act of heroism of holding that door shut, in my mind, in my opinion, it was just my opinion, saved the lives of everybody else in that apartment. Because I, there's no doubt in my mind that they're, they're shooting at that door on the other side, they don't care. They're going to go in and kill everybody else inside. So he held the door, he died, but I think it should be remembered that he, that final act of heroism that he had, of uh, holding that door shut and keeping those, those bad men out. Um, so fast forward a little bit, the two shooters were running down the stairwell, running out to a car and go off into the great unknown. Um, the uh, responding officers are called on 911. They get there, they actually have to push and force the door open because Cleavy's body is still on the other side of that door holding it shut. So they actually have to force their way inside and try and give uh, Mr. Chick medical attention. It was clearly so there was no point in uh, trying to do any, any other medical uh, procedures. And from that point, we at the homicide unit get the call and we show up. Was this originally going to be a robbery? Uh, I don't think it was going to be a robbery. It was going to be, there's a story that eventually we do, we do find the two shooters. And his justification to his girlfriend was to say that he was roped into doing a robbery on this apartment and he didn't know who was going to be inside. He didn't know that his ex-girlfriend and essentially his, the mother of his two children was already inside that he'd been feuding with for a month. So he was trying to tell her, oh, it, it wasn't, I wasn't actually going to go kill anybody or do this. I got roped into participating in a, in a robbery, which it's all bullcrap. That's not what this was about. This was about jealousy. This was about uh, hurt feelings and not being able to be with the person that the one dude wanted to be with, which was one of the women inside the apartment. So the answer is go kill people to get your way. Yeah, essentially. He didn't get what he wanted, so he was he armed himself up with a gun and tracked and stalked his the mother of his two children to where she was now. Well, this this just for the sake of argument, it was a robbery. You as an adult got tricked into, roped into, talked into, conned into, going and doing a robbery. Like what he's saying. That's what he told his girlfriend, right? Mm -hmm. So that means you have to have a conversation with me or other people to be able to talk into that. That's one separate act, right? Yep. You had to go find a gun. That's two acts. You had to carry the gun. That's three acts. You had to drive, find the location where they're at, drive out to the apartments. That's four acts. 
go inside with the gun, that's five acts, pull the gun, six acts, fire the gun, seven acts. So that's seven conscious decisions you made that you could have stopped anywhere along the way and stopped this, correct? Yep. Let me guess. It's because it's the people that I hung around with. That's what families always say. It's not him. It's always the guys that he hangs around with. That other family saying the same thing about him. The bottom line is, you're stupid. That's the whole bottom line. You've made a series of conscious decisions to go take somebody's stuff, if that's the case, on December 24th, and then shoot through a door not knowing if there's nine kids, six nuns, three professors, an astronaut or whatever on the other side of that door. That's how much you don't care. And somehow, that's going to be my fault, society's fault, that you're that stupid. Right. I still don't understand that concept, but it seems to be that's the best excuse going around right now because it's it's handy. Can't explain the actions. It has to be everybody else's fault. It has to be systemic. It has to be whatever. And now a man died trying to protect those people. And Clevy, I didn't know that dude. You know, I knew his name. To stand in front of that door, you have to assume guns on the other side of the door, they're that bold. There's going to be rounds coming through that door. Mm -hmm. I may get hit in the toe and have a fat toe. I may get hit in the face and be dead. But he had the courage to do that. Mm -hmm. Kenny, what did, what did you do when you got the call? Hooked up with my same partner at the time, Tom Cameron. Um, Detective Wiley and Mullins were gathering more information for, for us. Um, we typed a search warrant for 3365, and the search warrant was signed by uh, Judge Hurley, and we went to the apartment with um, search warrant in hand. Once we get there, uniform officers had already made entry. The medics were there. Now they were just providing scene security. They had removed everybody from the apartment. The initial ins information that we had was got a man down, shot in the head. Um, he was uh, positioned himself against an armed home invasion where these two individuals, one being Tyshawn Williams and later to be Bruce Thomas, as we find out, came to the apartment with guns and threatened um, child's mother and Mr. Chick stepped in between. Uh, he put his body up against the door when he heard gun, got managed to shoulder and pushed the door shut when these two individuals opened fire and fatally shot him through that door. Uh, upon our arrival, it was a long corridor all the way to the third floor where their apartment 3365 is located. And we first observed four initial gunshots. Uh, <clears throat> look, appeared to be fresh bullet holes in a steel entry exit door on the front of the apartment. There were two shots that were high and then there were two shots that were low. Um, we performed what we usually do. It's called a primary walkthrough of the scene. Mr. Chick's body was moved. Uh, he was actually, they had to show, police had to shoulder the door to get in because where he was shot, he slid right down the door 
and fell and died right there. Um, his body was moved around to the right of the door upon entry. It's a small apartment, two bedroom, one bathroom. There was a uh, Christmas tree in the living room with presents uh, stacked around it. Pretty sad sight. Um, we learned that there were three adult females who were present in the house at the time of the shooting, along with three little toddlers, uh, <clears throat> who fortunately they weren't injured during this whole incident. Uh, Mr. Chick is on the floor, deceased. Further in the apartment, uh, in line with the actual front entry exit door, is a hallway. There's two bedrooms and a bathroom are off the one bedroom and one bathroom are off the hallway, and a second bedroom, a master bedroom, was all all the way into the southwest portion of the apartment. And as Sergeant Cameron and I, he's my sign partner for the investigation, as we were approaching and doing a walkthrough, it's like, okay, we got a bullet strike on this wall. We've got a bullet strike that went through a door and stopped. Uh, there's a bullet behind the door, uh, a spent bullet projectile. And then <clears throat> along the west wall of the master bedroom in the back was a long closet. And it was open, had no doors on it. And each of the walls were perforated. You can see drywall dust where bullet projectile went through the wall. And finally on the of the concrete wall on the far south end of this closet is where the bullet finally stopped. It impacts the wall and finds or falls somewhere inside that uh, that rear bedroom. So we have three shots fired. Well, actually four shots. We have four entry holes into the door, and we start uh, doing a tra trajectory uh, shooting reconstruction of each one of those shots. Long story short, we ended up coming up with uh, three bullets, three spent bullet projectiles. Uh, we found one in the very back bedroom and behind that closet door in that rear bedroom. It had lost all of its momentum. And we found a third one after we moved Mr. Chick's body out of the way. It had struck the door come out of the door and fell straight down on top of the threshold. So we were only missing one projectile. We had three bullets that we had found. And upon looking at uh, Mr. Chick's body, it was evident that he had one uh, spent bullet projectile in his head. So at which time we contacted the coroner, uh, we had to remove the body scheduled an autopsy for, I believe it was the 26th, and Did you that's find a casings? Yes, we found four spent bullet casings. Upon our approach, that's correctly for the horse, um, as we're ascending the staircase, there's a spent bullet project, or a spent casing, and then there were three other spent casings inside a long, narrow hallway. So that was indicative of four shots. Uniform had helped us out and they had placed out 
uh, yellow evidence markers with what we do when we mark our evidence items. And uh, <clears throat> so we started out with four casings, made our uh, entryway into the, into the apartment, we did our shooting reconstruction and found the origin of those shots. So we found three out of actual four uh, bullets and the other one out of Mr. Chick's head was retrieved at autopsy because you never leave a bullet in a body. So after we had all of um, our projectiles we and the body was moved out prior to the autopsy, we secured that residence and left uniform officers on it to provide scene security until we could actually go to the autopsy itself. So that's any, that's any time that we do it so nobody can force uh, entry into that apartment. It's still an active crime scene and we don't release it until we're ready to. Okay, so right now where we're at, that thing is being held, the house or the apartment, correct? Uh, pending the autopsy because we can gather more information from that autopsy potentially, right? Yes. Plus what Wiley and Mullins, Mullins isn't here tonight obviously, what they can get through interviews. They're already in. What did you guys do from that? Well, it was also, uh, JT was also my partner at the time, so it was JT, Mullins, and I we were kind of in this conglomeration of the three of us working on this, talking to people. Um, JT, Jim Taylor, you know, yep. okay. uh, he's been on the, he's been on the before, so. Yeah. Uh, but the, we get all the witnesses and we take them all down to the Metro Homicide Unit. We're going to talk to them there. Uh, we talked to the three ladies. We all talked to the kids because they were too young to really know what was going on. Uh, but there was also two males that were associated with that apartment as well. They weren't at the apartment when the shooting took place, uh, but we were able to track them down and bring them down for interviews as well. And they gave us a lot of good information. The three ladies, two of them knew who one of the shooters was by face and by name, Tyshawn Williams, uh, because he had been in a relationship for a couple of years with one of the ladies inside the apartment. So she obviously knew who he was. Her mother recognized who he was, and then the original lady that opened the door didn't know who anybody was. She had, She's able to pick out Tyshawn from a photo lineup. Okay, explain what a photo lineup is. Uh, well, what we do is we get uh, six pictures of people that kind of looked at least reasonably similar. You did like try to find uh, my picture and then five of the dudes that kind of look like me. Uh, you're going to put them all in separate pictures. I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to put them down and say, okay, uh, do you recognize anybody from any of these six pictures? And if you say, yes, yes, I recognize this guy. Where do you recognize him from? That kind of thing. Um, and then we'll move on from there. Uh, or we'll move on to another witness. Hey, we're going to show you a photo lineup. Do you yeah. ever say, uh, obviously, I don't know what the answer is, but <laughs> do you remember ever saying, now the guy that's in these six photos is in here, which one is he? No. No, you're planning no. an answer, right? That somebody's in here that did this. We have to be very, uh, very tight with what we do and allow the the witness or victim to make their own analysis of the photos. And we don't do percentages. Uh, you know how how close you think this seventy percent, eighty. It doesn't cut. We got to know that's the person. So go ahead. I'm sorry. So we have, uh, at this point in the investigation, we have three positive IDs from the three ladies in the apartment, and the information from one of the dudes in the apartment, or associated with the apartment, uh, was privy to conversations that the baby mama was having with Tyshawn Williams via Facebook. Um, Tyshawn had been sending 
threatening messages to the ladies all night long and this other gentleman uh, all night long. I'm going just nasty, nasty things. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put my 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 penis in your daughter, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It was just it was horrible stuff to read. You, you know, know what everybody does on Christmas Eve? Yeah, well, it's not Shakespeare. That's for dang sure. Uh, but just nasty. But it's your fault. <laughs> but just nasty messages and making threats and uh, wanting to fight and shoot it up and have whatever with all these people. So we get that information. And we also talked to the brother of one of the ladies that was there, and he wasn't at the apartment. And it kind of fits in later on as to why it's important that he wasn't there, where he actually was. Um, and we'll get on to that later on in a little bit. But he, the brother, tells us, hey, yeah, I, I don't know the address, but I know he lives over off of Wilbur Street on the west side of South Bend. And from other people in other places, we get an actual address. And from that point, we've had the positive ID from the ladies. We have an address to go to. We draft up a search warrant. We're going to go to the guy's house and try and find him or any evidence of what, what that would lead us to uh, more charges or strengthening our search warrant for Search warrant is so that we can get in the house. We're either looking for him. We're also looking for firearms-related evidence, either guns, um, magazines, ammunition, um, spent, uh, spent showcases, anything. We're looking for anything firearms-related to come back to our case, because obviously our case is a firearms-related murder. So we're going to go look for firearms-related stuff. Anything found? Uh, we, found we found some pretty good stuff. Um, in the basement of that house, we found, uh, and this is the first time I've ever seen this, and I, it's actually happened a couple times since, a spent showcasing. At the time, I collected, we get it, we send it to the lab, do all that stuff. Turns out that spent showcasing matched to one of the guns that was fired outside the apartment door. So he had fired that gun, collected that brass from whenever he had fired it, took it back home, and had it at his house as like a little trophy having gone out shooting. Or he shot inside the house. We didn't find any bullet holes, but maybe patched it up and painted over it. I don't know. But yeah, he could have fired it inside of the house. Um, but we also found uh, make similar uh, ammunition to what was outside the apartment door, unfired inside the inside the basement down there. So now we have uh, we have firearms related evidence, we have special casings that match to our crime scene, and we have unfired ammunition very similar to the ammunition that is outside of, that was fired outside of the apartment. Was he there? He was not there. Was anybody home? Uh, Mama did show up. I uh, talked with her for a while. Uh, tried to explain to mom what was going down, what was happening. Uh, any mother was not, would not be very you know, happy about what's going on. You're accusing my son of what? But it was a, a relatively civil conversation with the mom at the house. And she didn't interfere with us. She let us do what we had to do uh, with our search warrant. And then when we were done, we left the copy of the search warrant. And Okay. After collecting it. So how many other people did you talk to? The three girls in the house? We had the three girls in the house. We had the two other gentlemen that associate oh, mean at the suspect's house or the apartment? The apartment. Uh, we had the three ladies, we had the two other gentlemen. Um, so that was at the apartment, but overall we spoke to like another five or six other people related to this whole thing. Who they were, how they were related to each other and interactions to each other, and telling us who talks to who and how they interact with each other. Essentially, 
how bad is this guy that came to the apartment and shot inside? So we're talking 10 or 11 people at least that we're talking. Yeah. And um, the two shots that were high and the two shots that were low, did that give you any thought, either one of you guys, about why they were too high and too low? Yeah, because we had two shooters, and the, the ballistics bear that out that we had two guns that were being fired. So we had four shell casings and two shots from each gun outside of that apartment door. Uh, the two high, I think that was just either somebody firing high or what, or just who knows. And then two lower that were reasonably where somebody could have been standing. So two high, maybe not... Uh, in line with where somebody would actually be, but still very deadly, very fatal if you're on further down that hallway and you're gonna catch that bullet because it's going down. Well, the height of the two rounds was obviously high enough to hit him in the eye, right? So you got the, the, the back of his head. Okay, okay. Right here. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, and the two low, how low were they in comparison to the door? Foot what? up, two foot up? Probably right. about uh, mid-waist. The first well, number one would be mid-waist, and the first other one would be a lot further down, like maybe 12, 12 inches down from the first one. Okay, so are you kind of covering all the geographical areas where somebody's body might be? Yeah. From head to, to lower? So it wasn't like shooting up here where you know you're going to hit his trim, or shooting down here where you know you're going to get toes. You're shooting for geographical areas where somebody's body would realistically be covered. Is that a fair analysis? Yes. And I can interject there where he is hit, the victim cleaning, he also sustains a round uh, that strikes him in the shoulder consistent with him having shouldered the door to keep the bad guys out. Um, and then that was the bullet that just came through the door, hits his shoulder blade because at autopsy there was a wound there where he had to have his shoulder blade up against that door and was struck in it. The bullet comes out of the door, strikes his, uh, pierces the skin, strikes the shoulder blade and drops straight down on the uh, inside the threshold. So that'd be consistent with him. The higher of the two was the one that he gets uh, in the, received in the back of the right rear of his head. Well, now we're, we're still talking about three ladies that are in the house that could have been hit and three little kids under the age of two. Mm -hmm. Think about, think about the lack of caring. Not, you know, okay, I don't care about you. I'm trying to kill you. That's who I'm going for but not even thinking enough about anybody else. Just my sociopathic ass is going to kill something. I've already sent you messages. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. You're, you know, you're a hoe and all the other things that he said in his messages. So he's predestined. So that's an eighth act that he's already done, typing it out, sending it. He's letting you know. Clevy would have had to have known, I would think, that these messages are coming through. Everybody in the apartment knew. Okay. So he could have went, see ya, Christmas Christmas Eve, I'm taking off. He had the guts to stay in anticipation, maybe, of protecting these people. Why do you think 
he wanted to he wanted to shoot these people, especially his girlfriend, some like her ex-girlfriend. Well, there was a in talking with the, the ex-girlfriend, we get I get a story from her from December twelfth, so about twelve days prior to all this going down, uh, that Tyshawn had actually assaulted her and was choking her and pointing guns at her head and says, If you ever leave me, I'm gonna kill you. Those sorts of things. Uh, so that's a story she tells us. So very, very possessive, very not uh, willing to let things go because their, their relationship is sour, uh, obviously. So she, they can't understand why. He sounds like a real romantic to me. So she she breaks out of the house uh, when he's not there. They've been in the same house on, on the west side when they searched uh, for the firearms evidence. Uh, so he's not there at the time. She takes the two kids and leaves the house and goes in with her mother uh, at, at this apartment complex. And he doesn't know exactly where he is. So he doesn't know where mama lives uh, of his girlfriend. So he doesn't know how to get there, how to find her. So it takes him about 12 days to narrow that down and actually track down where she's actually at. How did he take that much time off work? <laughs> I don't believe he worked. I'm not an kid. So you can spend all that time being pissed off because you and your girlfriend, things aren't going well. Maybe if you looked in the mirror and said, maybe if I didn't choke her and call her bitches and hoes and put a gun in her face and talk about killing her, Maybe we could work this out. Maybe I'm stupid. Can't quite get that. So now, hopefully, God willing, those little babies don't remember any of this. Don't remember any of it. Two, you know, under two years old, I would think your memory would not be sufficient enough to remember something like that. But, but for the grace of God, there could have been more people killed. What do you think would have happened? If Clevy wouldn't have blocked that door, and these guys would have got in, there's no doubt in my mind that more more bloodshed would have been would have been a product of that. I think Clevy holding that door shut, keeping those two dudes out, uh, stopped those two dudes from waxing everybody that above. Babies, women, everything. If you're willing to shoot into a door like that, I, I can't imagine you're gonna stop it not completing everything else. Knowing that there's innocent women and children in that apartment behind that door. Yeah, but you're forgetting. I'm the most important thing in the world. The world revolves around my belly button. And you didn't do what I told you to do because I'm possessive. I'm a sociopath. I'm in charge. This is what I've done my whole life. And now I'm just going to take somebody's life because... I'm pissed off at her for doing what she should do and get away from me. Look, men, I've said it before, men and women are like buses. If you wait long enough, another one will come along. You don't want me good, guess what? You ain't the only one in the world. There are other ones better than you, and I'm going to find one. Just like if I'm, you'll find one better than me. But to go kill somebody, and now one of these geniuses is doing 55 years in the joint. Earliest out date, 2060. The great plan. Great plan. I'm sure found a mint on his pillow and found somebody to spoon with or whatever. For this, are you kidding me? Again, you know, it, use some common sense. Use some common sense. You know, we've all heard, you know, the stories, and nobody, uh, I say it all the time, nobody likes a dirty cop to get it. If you got a bad cop, get rid of them. But these actresses and actors and sports figures that go systemic racism and remember this guy, remember that guy. 
go to those people next time they're opening their cake home and go, hey, who was the last black kid in your community that got killed? Who's the last white girl that got killed? Who's the last Hispanic that got killed? And you know what they're going to look at you like? Because they don't know the answer, because it doesn't get publicity. It doesn't get enough play for them. They can't sell more shoes. They can't do all this thing. Because you know why? To them, it really doesn't matter. I want to be able to talk about George Floyd. I want to be able to talk about this guy. I want to be able to talk about that guy because I get play. But I'm not going to talk about your kid, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your cousin, because I don't get enough play out of him because nobody knows his name. So when these people are saying this stuff, challenge them with what the hell are you talking about? You have a black man, Klebichik, that's a freaking hero. He took bullets. Some people, I got your back, bro. You're my, you know what? When you get shot, a stupid t-shirt's going to be worn and you're going to be forgotten about. This man put his life, had the balls to stand between bad guys with guns, bad guys with guns shooting, that door, those kids, and those women. And he had choices. When Susie heard all this stuff was coming, he could have went, see ya, going someplace else. He didn't. He had the guts to stay. And he's dead because of it. But you know what? That, if, if there's a heaven, that dude walked the light. Clevy walked the light. He's a, he's a freaking hero on my book. These guys are the cowards. The people that, that talk the other way and talk to trash, they're the cowards. This man was not. Kenny, those, those casings that you found, those were attached to two separate guns, right? Yes, that's correct. So either we have two shooters, and we know we did, or one guy shooting two guns like this, and that I've never seen one like that in over a thousand deaths that I've had. So shooters. we're acting in concert, being the other bad guy, doing what we did. Yes. How were those guns, how were those casings matched up? Were there guns found? Well, I don't believe that the weapons weren't found, but once we once I submitted them to Southland Police uh, Crime Lab, they were examined by Ray Wolfenbarger, firearms examiner and found to be from two different weapons, and then evidence later on that Wiley and Mullins had recovered from, uh, I can't remember which person's house, but the casing that was kept turned out to be one of the casings from a gun that was fired at the apartment, which resulted in Cleavy Chick's death. So that's another circle within a circle that we're tying up uh, more ammo to put uh, those individuals at that scene. Okay, and then when we're taking these statements, obviously you guys are trying to listen from somebody. Have you ever seen Bruce Thomas with a gun? What kind of gun? Have you ever seen Tyshawn Williams with a gun? What kind of gun? Are there Facebook posts? Are there pictures? Are there, is there bragging? Is there text messages? Is there email? Probably not emails, but we'll just say emails. Or Are there emails anymore? Yeah, well, videos, any of that kind of stuff. So when you got these statements, when did we get the okay to go snag these guys up? Uh, well, Bruce Thomas's name, we didn't know. We had nobody to identify him, nobody. We, he was the unknown, he was the X Factor. We didn't know who he was. We knew who Tyshawn was. And by the very next day, prosecutor's office had already been working with us and working very closely with us for what was going down. Uh, said, yep, Tyshawn Williams, I'm doing the I'm doing the uh, charging update right now. Tell me what do you got? This is what we got. Let's go. How long was it before we grabbed him? It took a month. 
So it wasn't until uh, middle of late January to track him down and actually find him and snag him up. Where was he at? He was at a, a trailer park over in Osceola. Uh, it was a very kind of a weird situation how we got to that uh, because we've received tips through Crime Stoppers and some other uh, venues that said, Tyshawn Williams is in this trailer park. He's in somewhere around here. I know he's there. Go find him. So that that night, the marshals in Elkhart County and all these other guys go out and they just go out there and try to find him. Nothing. Crickets. So Gary and I, Mullins and I, go out the next day. We're just going to go knock on doors and see what's going down and whatever and just kind of canvas this uh, trailer park. And while we're in there, uh, I look over and I see face of Tyshawn Williams in the window, one of the trailers. I'm like, holy shit. Tell Gary, pull over real quick, go back, knock on the door. And by that time, his face is no longer in the window. And I'm like, ah, did I really see what I thought I saw? Or was I just so wanting to see something that I saw? So it, I started to doubt myself. And I know now I should never do that. If I see it, I saw it. But uh, learning, learning experience for me. So knock on the door, the lady that answered said, no, I don't know who that is. He's never been here and showed her picture. She said, no, I don't know who that is. Uh, no connections here whatsoever. So she won't let us inside to check, but we kind of got to back off. We back off and we actually back the office. You call a couple hours later on, and it's like six, seven o'clock at night, that uh, this one dude who wants to help out, help out because he has his own problems, um, then comes forward with his lawyer and says, I know where he's at right now. I know where Tyshawn Williams is right now. He's in the trailer park over in Osceola. We talked about it. And he tells us the story because he's on the phone with his friend who is on phone with the lady at the trailer. And the friend is telling the guy that came to the office that uh, cops came to the trailer, knocked on the door, he hid in the closet. When the cops left, he ran out the back and went to another trailer on the other side and was hiding underneath that trailer. So the lady that owned the trailer and was living there is a liar. So get the get the cavalry going again. Excuse me, call the marshals, call Elkhart County, because uh, it's just over the border in Elkhart County. And I call all these people and I'm like, let's go. So we get out to the trailer park, go to the one that I had knocked on the door earlier that day, go directly behind it, look under it. There is a small crawl space under there. And I start yelling under the, the trailer, Tyshawn, come out, come out, come out. We're going to send the dog in to get you. Come out now. I don't want to have to hurt you. Or we, we don't want to have to hurt you by getting the dog in there. All this other stuff. And uh, he finally does crawl out from underneath the trailer. And I have, and I got to experience the second best feeling in the world that I've ever had as a police officer. Don't tell us what the first one is. <laughs> as a police officer. Okay. And I got to put my handcuffs on the gentleman I knew was responsible for what happened in that apartment. I handcuffed him and I got to put him in my car and I transported him back to the NHU for his interview. Did he talk? He talked in roundabout ways. Um, his initial story was that uh, he'd gone to that apartment, nothing to do with the robbery. Doesn't tell me anything about a robbery. And he says he goes to the apartment, he knows or it is because the girl, his, his baby mom, had invited him. No, that's not true. She did not invite him there. He goes to that apartment. He's going up the stairs, and he says two dudes are following up the stairs. So he gets to the stairs, and he gets to the door. And just as he's about to go into the door and knock on the door, or he's knocking on the door, 
when the two dudes, unknown from behind him, start shooting at him. It's a story. These two unknown dudes shooting guns at him, and he's ducking out the way, kind of like Matrix style, where he's not getting hit with the bullets. That's his first story. He says afterwards, the two dudes ran away, he runs away, hides for a month, and doesn't want to come in. Eventually, he gets all the way down to, and we try to explain to him how ballistics work, and, and we know that's not true, we know this happened, we know that happened, and then he says, okay, this is what really happened. I'm at the apartment, I'm at the apartment, and this is actually the next thing. We, had, we actually ended the interview because he wanted a lawyer, so we stopped, and then he, he reached out to us and said, hi, I want to tell you what really happened. So we go, we talk to him to jail. He says what really happened was, he goes to the apartment, with a guy named Bruce. Okay, so he goes to the apartment with a guy named Bruce, they go up to the door, they both have guns, um, just to protect themselves, because they don't know who's inside the apartment, they don't know what's going on, even though Tyshawn said he was invited to the apartment. So they knock on the door, knock, 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 opening the door, and he says one of the males inside of the apartment, he says specifically who the guy is, not cleaving, he says another male's name that is inside the apartment with a revolver pointed out and shooting back at them as they open the door. So obviously they have no other option than to start shooting back at whoever's inside the apartment. Of course, there's no rounds coming out, only going in. So only that going in. Why? That's a total lie because that was an enclosed hallway. Uh, if there was been bullets going out, they would have gone out and hit the wall on the outside or broken one of the windows. And obviously the door on the outside, there would have been exits. Correct. To show that. So total, total lie. And he also said that Bruce did all the shooting. I didn't do any of the shooting. I was just there. Bruce did all the shooting. That's not true because we know we have two guns. We have two shooters. So that wasn't true. And then finally he says, okay, I did have a gun and I fired only once. No, that's not true because there's two. He, he just can't stop lying. He just keeps lying, lying, lying. So gets to the very end and he says, okay, I shot once and I ran away and I was scared. But the other dude inside was definitely shooting out. And I said that was going to be important because the dude that he says, he calls him out by name. I'll just call him T. He calls T out by name and says T was inside that apartment and he's shooting at us. T wasn't there. T was actually at Octafarma donating blood on Christmas Eve to pay for gifts and crap and whatever, you know, to pay for stuff. So he's at Octafarma selling his blood to them. And in doing so, and I had to learn how to... When you go to Dr. Farm, I've never actually been there as a donator myself, so I had to learn how this process works. You actually have to show up, put your thumbprint on the thing, and then they'll let you in. Because if you don't have your thumbprint, if you don't have your thumb with it, you're not getting inside because it's how they keep track of who's donating blood. How do you not have your thumb with you? Cut it off and gave it to you. You go donate my blood. I've seen, that, I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah. So the, the process... Apparently that bond was too tight. <laughs> The lies that this guy was just telling were stacking up, stacking up, stacking up. Couldn't be, couldn't be possible. So at that point, we just we stopped the interview. Uh, and he finally told us who, what Bruce's last name was. He told Bruce Thomas. So we, now we have a first and a last name, and we have more information about what happened. At least he's saying, yes, I was there, I did these things, and I was a part of it. So there we go. When does Bruce get picked up? Bruce had already been picked up. Bruce had actually been picked up in uh, Marshall County for a warrant he had in St. Joe County. Uh, his girlfriend actually turned him in uh, because she was scared. She was scared. He 
because he had said, yeah, I was involved in that shooting in South Bend, somebody got killed. So he's telling her I was involved in this whole thing, but she knows that he has a warrant, so she ends up getting him turned in for that warrant to get him away from her so she can feel safer without being around. Well, that, that goes to the part that I said earlier about informants. Informants are extremely helpful, cooperators, whatever you want to call them, CIs, confidential informants, makes no difference. Um, I've made a living for 45 years off and with these people helping them out. And uh, anybody tells you that many times there's not an ulterior motive, there absolutely is. Sometimes it's this money, sometimes it's uh, a charge that they want to get busted down, sometimes maybe it's a time cut. But one of the most important things is to vet that information. You don't take it for face value. You have to vet it out. You have to find out if what they're telling you is true. And in this case, two people came forward. And one of them's a liar. And Tim can tell you about that. Yeah, so we had uh, two guys from the, the jail come forward and said, uh, I've had conversations with different people within the jail. I've had conversations with Tyshawn. I've had conversations with Bruce. Uh, the one dude that came forward and said, "I," he told me this, 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 this whole laundry list of things. And I think to myself, I know that list because I wrote that list. I wrote the affidavit for this. He is simply repeating my words back to me from paperwork that he's got inside the jail. Um, because I realized that, I confront him on it. And I say, okay, you wanted to come forward with this information. Where would you get this information from? Really? Well, I actually read it. You are useless to me. I'm not going to use you anymore. I'm not going to talk to you anymore because I know you're a liar. I know you're trying to jump on cases. Says that. As soon as I find that out, he's, he's done to me. I'm not going to. I'm not going to waste my time talking to that guy anymore because I know he's not trustworthy. Part two. The second dude comes forward and says, "I got information," and he tells me a story about this, and it's it's about things that are not in the charging affidavit, and he's telling me stories about how uh, one of the Tyshawn was scared that the cops were coming to get him. And he sees a cop car with a big antenna outside of the trailer park. So he knows that the cops are coming and circling in on him. And this was a story he told me that is not anything that's in the paperwork. So there's no way the first, uh, sorry, the second informant came forward with that information unless somebody, Tyshawn, told him that information. So that's good information. That's solid. I can work on that. I can build on it. And he tells me more things about, yeah, he was there. He was scared. He shot the gun, this, that, and the other thing. He said at one point, I just had to do it. So, oh, yeah, you're you're obligated. It's Christmas Eve, you, you know, I had to do it. I, not that I had a choice, not that I used a good thought process. I, I had to do it. So, of course, I wouldn't buy presents for all my kids or anything. I, you know, I'm not going to take care of those, those little kids in there, you know, three or two years old, couldn't get them something. I, it's more important that I kill somebody. It's. Right. I, it's my fault, I'm sure. So we fast forward through all of that, uh, get all that information, talk to all those people, and then finally, Bruce Thomas's lawyer comes forward and says, uh, I have alibi witnesses for my guy. My guy couldn't have done it because these people are going to vouch for him. So we start tracking down those people, start talking to them. Uh, neither one of these two people who are both family members of Bruce Thomas could tell the same story. They couldn't say, one said he was at their house, the other said he was at this house, they saw him here, they saw him there, they saw him this and that. Neither one of these two alibi witnesses could actually tell the same story for Bruce. 
you're not suggesting a defense attorney brought forward two witnesses that weren't truthful and perhaps trying to cover uh, somebody's bacon, are you? I can't uh, say that the defense attorney did that. I can only say that these alibi witnesses came forward and they were presented to us. Did they testify? They did. Did they promptly get their ass kicked on the stand? They did. Because, like I said, neither one of them could tell the same story as to where Bruce was during the time of this whole murder. So they couldn't keep it straight. You would think if two people are sitting down and they're going to go, here's what I'm going to say, perhaps you would be smart enough to retain that for the 20 minute conversation that we're going to go repeat here in five minutes, but just can't get it done. We also brought them in for interviews, we brought them in for depositions, and then we brought them in for testimony. And they couldn't tell us any stories. Well, what's great about that, you, these great witnesses, helped us beat them. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you, fake witnesses. You helped us burn your friends. Good job. <laughs> well, Kenny, now we're down to the point. Evidence has been set, set off. Uh, the autopsy is complete. We know that it is a homicide, it's not an accidental, it's not anything else. It's been confirmed by the uh, by the person doing the autopsy. Uh, it was a Prowlo? Yes. Okay, Dr. Prowlo called it a homicide by, uh, by gunshot wound. And uh, everything's been sent off. We're waiting for stuff to come back. We get all our all our information back and now it's time to go to court. So were you... Uh, were you up on a stand for any length of time? Yes, I was on the stand for quite some time. Um, can't remember how many hours it was. It was well over an hour and a half. It was a while. You talk slower, what? <laughs> a lot of a lot of explanation I had to put forth uh, and answer the questions. What's asked of you? But we, um, I wanted to touch. They yielded some um, another person. It was Bruce Thomas's girlfriend, Amanda Quisby. Mm -hmm. We, um, through conversation, we learned, and we had to go down to um, look at her car. We had learned that Bruce Thomas had been shot during this incident and was treated at a local hospital. But his girlfriend, uh, uh, Amanda Quisby actually drove Tyshawn and Bruce away from the, the actual homicide scene. Uh, Thomas was injured. They stopped at uh, a hospital along the way. Uh, the car that they were transported in was currently in Warsaw, Indiana, getting tires put on it at a tire shop. She authorized a permit to search of her vehicle and her trailer in uh, rural Tippecanoe County and we ended up doing a search warrant at on the vehicle at the tire shop and we found bloody bandage and uh, i located a uh, job application uh, in the name of marshawn lloyd who was a relative of bruce thomas's so there was a connection there uh, uh, in the high street another address inside miami hills apartment but marshawn had nothing to do with this no he just not. job application uh, Moving forward from the permit to search on her car, go to Tippecanoe County to 2B Road. Uh, 
there was four of us and we ended up searching the trailer. Uh, Felice B said that she had, that there was paperwork there from the hospital, uh, a finger splint, uh, but paperwork uh, from a gunshot wound where Bruce Thomas was treated and potentially a bloody shirt in their burn barrel out back. And it was described as a pink shirt. So uh, myself and Detective Mullins, we got to, to go ahead, to go ahead and empty out the, the burn barrel out back. And we searched the top to bottom and there was nothing in it but nasty trash and no fibers, no shirt, no nothing. But uh, let's get back to the finger splash. Who shot him? Well, in talking with uh, Ms. Kalispe, she says that after the shooting at the apartment, they come back down, Tyshawn and Bruce come down into the car, and as she is driving away, she hears Tyshawn say to Bruce numerous times, I'm sorry I shot you, I'm sorry I shot you, sorry I got you. So one of those bullet holes, probably lower in the door because your hand isn't with here, probably one of those down there, actually went through somehow Bruce's finger while the shooting is going on, because those two dudes are, you have to think they're jammed up at, on that door. They're not just in a big space up there. So they're jammed in this door, trying to get inside, trying to push their way in, and Bruce gets shot by Tyshawn. So now Bruce's hand is a whistle. Yeah. And when we found Bruce at the jail, uh, he's sitting in one of the interview rooms and he's got his hands up here on the table, and I look over and I look at his hand, he's got a bandage right there on this finger. So it all matched up with the firing at the door, the story from police B about all this other stuff, Bruce going to the hospital later on, same day, only a couple hours later after the shooting in uh, uh, Kosciuszko. He went all the way down to Kosciuszko, but excuse me, to uh, get medical treatment. Did anybody down at the hospital challenge how he got that hole in his hand? He told the people at the hospital he was uh, playing with a gun and shot himself by accident. And that's what the, the nurses at the hospital called the police, because that's what they have to do. They go to the hospital with a gunshot wound, they have to call. Uh, officer showed up, wrote down his story, took all that information. Great, so now we've got another, another layer of information. We have a report. You were at the hospital, that's a layer of information. We have a report that you made that you got shot in the hand, which now confirmed back with other evidence that we have. We got a statement on that. We got a permit to search on that. So all the you think you're smart, you ain't smart. We're smart. You put all that together, and bam. So now Bruce Thomas gets 55 years. Yep, we go to trial, and uh, we ended up going to trial twice, one for each guy. So almost the exact same evidence for both trials. Uh, and Bruce is, after about four hours of jury deliberation, after a five-day trial, uh, the jury said guilty to murder. Okay, and then Tyshawn? Tyshawn goes to the trial second, and uh, the jury is allowed to contemplate not only murder, but also reckless homicide, because those are two things that are interrelated with the murder investigation. Uh, and that jury, the second jury, even though it's essentially the same information, the same evidence, same everything, found uh, Tyshawn Williams guilty of reckless homicide as opposed to murder. Well, that's, uh, that's the conclusion of this case. And I, I keep going back. Uh, 
Clevy, if you can hear us, uh, hell of a job. You were a good man that day at that time. Um, anything else you want to say? Any last words? Just that. that uh, it, there's no doubt in my mind if Clevy hadn't uh, protected those people in that apartment, uh, there would have been a lot more funerals and bodies that day. Okay. Still, again, um, yeah, Klevichek is definitely the hero of this whole incident. Uh, I still, <laughs> well, after you've been doing it as long as we have, but still, on Christmas Eve, when everybody should be spending quality time with their family, um, you've got a crew of knuckleheads that are just hell-bent on killing. There's no regard for human life. So, just when you think you've seen it all, there's always another one. Well, you know, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I think I've said everything that I need to say in regards to this particular incident. I do want to encourage you to read Real News Michiana, articles by Clifton French, conservative. That tells everything, the whole truth, everything. No spin, no BS, no nothing. It is what it is. Look it up, Real News Michiana. Secondly, I want to thank all first responders and all vets, all vets and first responders in the past, now, and in the present. Thank you for what you do. Um, I can tell you, for me, 45 years, it uh, was an honor and a privilege to be a police officer. I still work homicide cases. I have three of them going right now, two of them saw the next one I'm, I'm on the edge on it. So my business court of investigation, you can contact me at 574-229-8115. I do the investigations and I have a team around me that we all work very well together. The other, the last thing I want to say, I want to thank all the, all the police officers, all the cops that were there that stood by, watched the scene, found the items, went out on, on, uh, you know, cold, nasty weather to find this clown underneath the uh, underneath trailer, to all the work that went in afterwards, tracking down witnesses, helping with search warrants, helping with permits to search, going through nasty areas looking for things to help this case have a positive resolution. That's not the stuff you see on NCIS. You know, everything's pristine and, and everybody lives in a $4 million mansion. And that's not what happens in our world. So thank everybody. It's not County Metro Homicide that does everything. We play our part, everybody else plays their part, including prosecutors, paralegals, the judges, the juries, everybody. So without you, we couldn't have had this, could not have had the success that we did. So thank you. Remember, every Tuesday, these are sent out uh, on YouTube, killercatchers.com. And um, you can see what we do, what we talk about. You're getting the real truth, not the spin. Thanks.